Welcome to the Exam Room Rambles Podcast, where veterinarian Dr. Tracy Westergaard shares the same tips, opinions, and explanations she gives you in the exam room, only without barking dogs or hissing cats. We're really glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Hi, thanks for being here to listen to me ramble on. Today I'm going to ramble on heartworm. I actually did a heartworm episode a few weeks ago, and I didn't like it. I kind of jumped all over the place. It wasn't necessarily easy to follow. I had to do a lot of edits, so I'm just scrapping it and starting over. I'm honestly not sure how I'm going to make this second recording of the Heartworm podcast any better than my first recording, but I'm just going to give it a go. Now, heartworm is a super important topic, and I confess that I don't talk enough about it in the exam room mainly because I see the same people with the same pets year after year after year. And sometimes I just assume that we talked about it the year before, the year before, the year before, and they don't have any questions or they've heard it all before, so I don't take the time to explain things in detail. And I guess that's maybe over the years made heartworm seem like it was less important to me, and it's not. Heartworm is very important. Here in Minnesota, heartworm is endemic, and that means that we just naturally have it in our wildlife population. Out in the wild, raccoon, fox, ferret, coyote, wolf, I suppose wild cats, other places of the world, sea lions, (laughs) no sea lions in Minnesota. I don't know about sea otters. I don't know... Um, if they get heartworm. But but there are several species that can get the heartworm that is transmitted to dogs, and they're the ones that naturally harbor it. Now, around the world, all along the equator, there are different varieties of heartworm. They're not necessarily the same dirofilaria imidis worm that we see here in Minnesota, but there's different heartworms throughout the world. And I don't know anything about those. I don't know if they act differently or are treated differently. So if you are listening from somewhere other than the United States and Minnesota, I don't know if this all applies to you. So heartworm has been diagnosed in all 50 states in the United States. And we've really seen the numbers go up in the last several years because of the way dogs move throughout the United States. One of the big catalysts was Hurricane Katrina in 2005. That would be 15 years ago in August. So many dogs, 100,000 dogs plus, edit, over 250,000 dogs, were displaced. They were put into rescues, and these dogs were moved all over the United States. And it was done in a hurry and in an urgent manner. And that sent heartworm disease, which is really endemic down in the South, It sent heartworm to places in the United States that didn't have heartworm, and doctors there didn't necessarily look for it. Some of them did, and it was somewhat able to be contained, but it also set up the parasite in places that had never had it before. We had it here in Minnesota anyway, but we did have Katrina dogs come up that were heartworm positive. We still get dogs out of South and through the rescue that come heartworm positive. In fact, just this week at the Marshall Animal Clinic, we did have a positive heartworm. Now, this dog is a rescue. They don't know specifically where it came from, but it's heartworm positive, and we're going to have to treat that. Dr. Pat's working that case up. It'll be um, fun to see that dog recover and have a good, healthy, normal life. We also can't just 
blame rescues and hurricanes for the spread of heartworm, we also have to think about how many people travel with their dogs. And people that go down south for the winter, people that just vacation with their dogs now, that really wasn't heard of 20 years ago. People didn't take their dogs and they weren't, dogs weren't welcome in hotels, but now people can travel with their pets and that's a way that heartworm can be spread across the United States and into towns and locations that didn't have it before. I guess I should clarify, it's not the dogs that are actually transmitting heartworm. It is mosquitoes. So a mosquito will bite a dog that is infected with heartworm and has baby heartworm circulating in their bloodstream. So heartworms are kind of cool in that they don't lay eggs. There's not eggs shed in the poop. They actually give birth to live baby worms called microfilaria. And it is the microfilaria that are actually contagious. Well, a certain stage of the larva microfilaria It is a certain stage that is specifically picked up by the mosquito, then that mosquito takes another meal and infects the next dog. So mosquitoes, depending on the breed, can fly anywhere from a couple hundred yards to a couple hundred miles. And not a a couple hundred miles, up, up to a couple miles. So over time, spread from dog to dog, you can see how heartworm one positive dog could lead to heartworm dogs in the neighborhood and it can spread out geographically. The other thing we know about mosquitoes is that different breeds can overwinter in damp places like basements in people's homes. They can live in these little micro habitats like in a big city where you have a lot of cement but you still have water and moisture. You don't necessarily get the crazy bitter cold. So there's some places in the United States that have these microclimates that don't freeze, that don't get cold, even though it is a cold place that allows mosquitoes to overwinter and be a problem year-round, not just during the mosquito season. So here we are five minutes in and I already feel like I'm jumping all over the place, which is the problem with the first podcast I did. So let's take a step back. Have I even really introduced you to what heartworm is? Heartworm is a parasite that lives inside the heart and pulmonary vessels of dogs. And like I said, coyotes, wolves, cats, raccoons, sea lions, Maybe river otters. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But let's just, we're going to say dogs and sometimes cats. This worm is a very large worm. It can be like 8 to 12 inches long. And it can live for a very long time. An adult heartworm can live 5 to 7 years in a dog and 2 to 3 years in a cat. So cats do get heartworm. The disease is a little different than it is in dogs, but essentially transmitted the same way. Now, the life cycle, or how long it takes a baby heartworm to grow up into an adult reproducing heartworm, is about six months. And that's a really important thing to remember when we talk about testing. The most common tests that are used in veterinary practices are testing for antigens on the adult female worms. An antigen is like a little protein that's on the surface of the worm and identifies it. So since I just said it takes six worms, six months for a baby to become an adult and express this antigen, you have six months where a test is going to be negative, even though your dog is infected. So no matter what, we need to test every single year, even if you've been on preventative. Here I go jumping around again. (sighs) 
this is frustrating. This is a tough topic. It wasn't my intention to talk about preventatives right away, but preventatives don't work on every larval stage and they don't work on the adults. They only work on one specific larval stage and that larval stage is roughly 50 50 days in length. So that's why it's so important that we give our heartworm every month. If you have a lapse that's over 40 to 50 days, you could have some larva that can't be killed by your product if you give it the next month and skip a month. I do really want to talk about preventing heartworm because that's what I love about heartworm is it is a disease that is completely 100% preventable if you just use the product. But I don't want to talk about it now in this podcast. I was going to save that for the next one. I want to go back to what the disease looks like in dogs and talking about the actual worm. The signs of heartworm in dog are pretty mild when it's early, something an owner maybe wouldn't even pick up on, or they'd chalk it up to, eh, the dog's getting older and getting lazy. These mild early signs are exercise intolerance, a light cough, maybe not wanting to walk, maybe not being as athletic as they used to be, just don't want to do the things they want to do, sleeping a little more. We don't normally see any kind of vomiting and diarrhea. As the disease progresses, you may see an increase in respiration rate, breathing a little more heavy, more exercise intolerance, more coughing, and these are all signs of heart failure. We also can see multi-organ failure. There is a syndrome called Cavill syndrome where basically blood is kind of getting backed up in the circulation and it can really affect the liver and the kidneys and the, the whole animal. We've been fortunate at Marshall Animal Clinic that most of the cases we see, we find during that yearly routine screening. Now, we did have a dog years ago that came in with signs of heart failure, coughing, struggling to breathe, fluid building up in the lungs, and that was pretty end stage. That dog was um, really far into the disease and it was an older dog and the owner elected euthanasia instead of treatment and allowed us to do a necropsy on the dog so that we could learn about heartworm and see what it looks like in an infected dog. And it was so awful. I am not kidding. When we cut into that heart, the worms jumped out of the heart like spaghetti-sized worms, and a ton of them. And they were still alive, even though the dog had passed. And they jumped out of the heart. And we all like screamed like little schoolgirls. It was very, very disturbing and very impactful. I remember another dog from early in my practice that was diagnosed and treated for heartworm as like a two or three-year-old dog. Went through treatment great, But later in that dog's life, when he was about 10 or 11 years old, he did develop signs of heart failure. And I can't help but think that that was from damage that was done to the heart and the pulmonary vessels and the extra stress it put on his system, even though he only had heartworm for a short time early in his life. Now, heartworm in cats is a little different than dogs. It is more of a respiratory lung disease than it is an actual heart disease and heart failure. And those signs look like asthma. So struggling to breathe. And here's the bad sign in cats, sudden death. You know, cats have a much smaller heart, but yet the worms and the young adults are still huge. So uh, a cat can have one worm, and that's enough to kill it dead. 
Now, I am unsure if a smaller dog is going to be more severely affected by worm burden based on the size of its heart. But just using my like brain, I would think that would be the case. So smaller animal, less room in their heart for these worms. But um, anyway, cats get a more inflammatory process. In fact, the, the condition is called hard heartworm associated respiratory disease. And I am so thankful that I have never diagnosed heartworm in a cat. I confess I haven't looked as often as I should, and I am going to start looking for heartworm more now that I've done my research and kind of relearned about heartworm in cats. I found that the estimated rate of heartworm in cats is 20% the rate of dogs. So it is a much lower incidence, but here's the bad thing about heartworm in cats. There is no treatment. The imidacide drug that we use to treat heartworm in dogs is toxic to cats. So if your cat gets heartworm, you can't do anything about it. You can prevent it, but you can't treat it. Now, heartworm in cats is a little tougher to diagnose. There's actually kind of a combination of antigen and antibody tests that they do on cats. Because if you have a male worm and one male worm is enough to kill a cat, it doesn't show up on your typical heartworm test because the heartworm test is testing for a female antigen. So it's a little more complicated and I really don't need to go into that. But what I need you to know is that cats can get heartworm and your indoor and outdoor cats are both at risk. There was a huge study done of shelters and vet clinics and they found a 1%. Okay, I got to make sure I get this right. They found the incident of overall cats to be less than 1%, but 15 to 25% of those positive cats were deemed indoor only by their owner. So this just goes to show that mosquitoes do get in our house, and just because you have an indoor cat does not mean they are not risk for heartworm. So after doing this research on heartworming cats, I am definitely going to do much better at recommending preventatives for cats. There's no cure. The only way to stop heartwarming cats is to prevent it. And even at a low rate of less than 1%, living in Minnesota where we have heartworm, that's still too big of a risk. It's so easy to prevent. So guess what, folks? I'm going to leave you hanging. I'm not going to talk anymore about preventatives. I am not going to talk about the treatment. I am going to go to bed. And I'm back. It's a few days later, and I'm just working on the editing process of this podcast. I am going to actually quit here. I'm going to do a second podcast. Hopefully I will have it out sooner, not later, because I know you're all just waiting to hear the end of the story. So in the meantime, if you have any questions, suggestions for shows, or constructive criticism, you can reach me at examroomrambles at gmail.com. Or you can visit the Marshall Animal Clinic at www.marshallanimalclinic.com. Or you can give us a call during regular business hours, 507-537-1537. Thanks, and I'll get back to you soon with a second Heartworm Podcast. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>